There is one event that stands out to me from uh, my family's uh, family camp. We go to a family camp every summer uh, down in Texas. And uh, one thing stands out from our family camp this past summer. It has nothing to do with the counselors. They're amazing. And my girl's hanging out with these counselors. And the activities, you know, just craziness that goes on at family camp. It actually has to do with something that happened under the cover of One Dark Night. Now, mind you, this camp we go to is between Austin and Houston. It's a former deer camp. I mean, it's just wilderness brush. It's loaded with big game. So there's all kinds of exotics even all around on this thing. You know, they do this stuff in Texas. And uh, there's big animals, but then there's also small animals, you know, and it's, it's the lizards and it's the snakes and it's the, the one we all are afraid of, the scorpions, right? Check your shoes, wet towels, don't leave anything around. Well... Uh, our girls are of the age where we see them in the morning, and then and we generally don't see them much the rest of the day. The next 14 hours, you know, they're gone. We pass them at mealtimes or whatever, and then come 9, 9.30, you know, at night, I'm exhausted. I'm ready to go to bed. Lisa and I are turning in, and the girls, you know, they come home on their own, usually, I don't know, usually between 10 and 11 at night. So one night, Lisa and I are getting ready for bed. We're ready to turn in, and Lisa gets a text from one of the girls, and it says, we're on our way back to the cabin. And I thought, this is perfect. I know exactly where they walk when they come back. I got up, I went outside, and, uh, and so when I got outside, I looked, and I could, a couple hundred yards down the thing, I could see their, their phone lights, and they're walking down. And I got this hedge, tree line hedge or whatever, and I get, I like, literally, I get down behind this thing, and y'all, I'm getting so tickled. It was more fun, the anticipation, than what was about to happen. I'm behind the hedgerow, and I'm just tickled at myself, you know, what's going to happen here? And they get close enough, <clears throat> excuse me, I can hear them talking now. And so they're tick, 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 laughing, tick, 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 talking. That makes me even more like, this is so sweet. And they walk right by me. I'm literally down like this. They walk by me. Now they're, now they're this way. They've gone right by me. And when they go by me, I just do this. And they light out like, ah! and this is not an exaggeration. They are wailing as they go toward the cabin. And I am so delighted and then in a moment, this is truth, I went, oh my gosh, they are going to hurt themselves. They are going so fast, it's so dark, they're going to slip, they're going to run into a guide wire on something and harm and hurt themselves. And of course, I live in constant fear now, right, of the payback <clears throat> for when it comes. Now I will say this, I had good reason to be concerned because... When we are afraid, when we're terrified, when we're scared, we do things that can actually hurt ourselves and can actually harm others in the process. And is that not what we have watched Abraham do as he goes from an immature faith to a mature faith? He's, he's constantly going from fear to, to faith. Go back all the way to the very beginning, chapter 12. We talked about it. He goes into Israel. He goes into the, the, the promised land. He goes south. There's a famine. He's afraid. We're going to starve. He goes to Egypt. Don't go to Egypt, but he goes to Egypt. 
What happens in Egypt? He's in Egypt. He's got a beautiful wife. And he's scared, literally. I'm going to die because they're going to take her. So he's fearful and he lies. Go back to chapter 20. Abraham is now going back into the southern part of the promised land again. Runs into Abimelech, king of Gerar. And Abraham is afraid. He's scared. What does he do? He lies again about his wife. I mentioned last week that chapter 21, verses 8 to 21, we're noticing this growing faith in Abraham. And I want to suggest we actually watch that, that, that scene unfold and you saw a man who is beginning to take fear and wrap it in faith. I think that's what happened. When he sent Ishmael and Hagar out into the wilderness with nothing to live on, basically, you tell me, do you think he was afraid? Now, the text doesn't say, but I'm going to go with my heart and I'm going to go, he's a, he's a dad. Yes, there was fear. Here's the whole message in a sentence. Abraham didn't let his fear overwhelm his faith. There's what happened. There's the message we're going to go through today. Abraham's fear didn't keep him from faith. This is what the Bible, when the Bible says do not fear, when the Bible says fear not, by the way, as some have said, it's the most repeated command in the Bible, it's not, you shouldn't be afraid. Are you kidding me? Fear is a gift. Fear tells us, danger, danger, Will Robinson, right? I mean, it's dangerous. There's a threat. Fear's a gift. So the Bible's not saying, don't ever be afraid. No. What does it mean? Fear not, do not fear. It's reminding us, don't let your fear hijack your faith. That's what it's saying. If I said it another way, don't let your fears keep you from faith. If I said it another way, feel your fear, I'm afraid, but act on faith. Are you with me? If I said it another way, faith does not eliminate fear. Don't hear me say that. It's not like you're never going to have fear. This is a fallen planet in fallen bodies. You're going to be fearful. There are things to be afraid of. But faith does not eliminate fear. It transcends it. When Paula Hawk jumped off the cliff, was she afraid? We could ask her, yes. But she jumped. She acted in faith. In our text today, Abraham's going to come in contact with Abimelech once again. But rather than fear hijacking his faith, here's what happens in our story today. Abraham faces a fearful situation. He does. And he walks through it by faith. And I'm suggesting when we get this, and we'll get to the end of this message application-wise, you and I can do the same, even as Abraham did. Uh, By way of context, uh, the promised son has come. That's the last section we looked at. The promised son came, but now the son that was of the flesh had to go. That was last week's message. We know Abraham was trusting God completely. I suggest he is because he gives them so little to live on. You call that faith? Yes, it's faith because God said, I will make him a nation. And therefore, Abraham Abraham didn't make him a nation. He trusted God to. 
and sent them into the wilderness. Now the chapter, and, and this whole section begins in chapter 20, by the way, and it ends back here in the end of chapter 22. So this last section ends the entire section and chapter 22. If you have your Bibles open to chapter 21, verses 22 to 34, and I'm going to ask you to stand one more time as we read God's Word. Follow along in your Bibles, God's Word to you and to me this Lord's Day. Verse 22, now it came about at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. I would, I'd love to talk more about this, but can I offer this to you? This is just something to think about. Is there any evidence in your life, is there anything going on in your life that would prompt a pagan, anyone, just a person, to look at you and go, God is with you in all that you do. Boy, that's convicting to me. What is my life saying that someone would say that? Well, we'll see what Abraham's life was saying. Uh, Abimelech continues, Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me. Why does he make Abraham promise not to lie? Think about it. Why? Because <laughs> he's a liar. Right? He's already lied to him, Right? Or with my offspring or with my posterity, but according to the kindness that I have shown you, you shall show to me and to the land in which you have sojourned. Abraham said, I swear it. But Abraham complained. He has, there's an issue going on. He complained to Abimelech because of the well of water which the servants of Abimelech had seized. Abraham dug a well. Abimelech's servants took it from his servants, violently took it. And Abimelech said, pleaded, you know, ignorance. I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor did I hear of it until today. Verse 27. Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. I hope when you read that, you realize it's getting ready to get bloody. Because all those sheep and oxen, what are they going to do with them? What are they going to do with them? They're going to cut them in half. They're going to walk through them. They're going to say, if you break this treaty, so should you be like this. You know, this is getting ready to be a bloody mess. They cut the covenant. And then Abraham does something usually. He set aside seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What do these seven ewe lambs mean which you have set by themselves? And he said, You shall take these seven ewe lambs from my hand so that it may be a witness to me that I dug this well. Set aside the seven. Abimelech's going to take the seven. And when he takes the seven, it's like, Sealed the deal. The well is mine. And you recognize it by taking the seven lambs. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. This is called the well of the oath or the well of the, well of the, uh, the promise. Well, well of the oath or the well of the seven. The, 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 the word beer means well and then Sheba or Saba is the root word. Saba is translated promise oath and it's also translated seven. And you can't see it in the text but throughout this passage Saba, Saba, it's repeated over and over again. Beersheba is repeated three times right here. So they made a covenant at Beersheba, and Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, arose and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. Thank you. You can be seated. The story is really straightforward. I really explained it as I read through it. Abraham sojourning in this land. Uh, this king and his commander come and say, we'd love to make a peace treaty. Uh, they make a peace treaty, a covenant, so that Abraham can live in peace in the land. 
Beersheba is repeated three times at the end to remind those who are going to read this, you know, the, the, the Hebrews who will read it will be reminded, oh, this is the place of the oath, the place of the promise, the place of the, the seven, the seven new lambs. Therefore, this land, God has provided a peace by which we can live in this land. See, they're reminded of that as they read the story, a peace in which we can become what? A nation in this land. Um, before we consider some application from the story itself, uh, I'm going to take us back, because I said I would last week, to the expulsion of Ishmael. This is what precedes it. This is the context in which this story occurs. And there's a theological foundation to the Ishmael expulsion that is absolutely critical to understanding this. And can I say this, and this is the reason I'm going back to it. It's critical to understanding and applying the whole Bible. It's that important. So with that, I want to give you a cliff note version, theological foundations to the the Ishmael story itself. And to do that, I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. You're going to go to Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Right after 2 Corinthians, you're going to hit Galatians. It's before Ephesians. Galatians 3, 1 through 3. Again, this is, this is a summary statement. I'm not going to read all of these passages, but it's going to help us understand what happened with Ishmael. Why does that matter so much? Well, notice Paul, writing to the Galatians, says this, Galatians 3.1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit, key word, by the works of the law, keyword works, or by hearing with faith, keyword. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, that you are now being perfected by the flesh, keyword? What's he saying? Paul is rebuking the Galatians because they have forsaken the gospel that he taught them. What is the gospel according to Paul? The gospel according to Paul is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived the perfect life that no one could live. And that Jesus himself bore on his body the penalty all sin deserved. And on the cross he died. He was buried. Three days later he rose from the grave for he had no sin of his own. And the gospel from Christ's lips He who believes in me, if you trust that what I did, I did it for you. Will you believe that by faith, you see? Then your sins are forgiven. Why? Because they've been paid for. And I'm clothing you now with my righteousness. This is the gospel of Paul, the gospel of Christ. But the Galatians are picking up a gospel that says, if you keep the law, you can be right with God. Hey, if you'll do this and don't do that, you can be right with God. Hey, you can work your way into a relationship with God. In fact, that's what you need to do. Do you see that? They're mutually exclusive. There's works or there's grace. There's the flesh or there's the spirit. Only one will put you in a right standing with a holy God. The other will put you in bondage. Let me give you a two-word outline for the book of Galatians. Bondage, freedom. This is the book of Galatians. 
Now, what do you suppose Paul is going to use to illustrate these two mutually exclusive ways that men seek to be acceptable to God? Look at chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to 23. Watch where he goes. Tell me, you who want to be under under law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons. Oh my, we're all the way back in our text in Genesis. One by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. The son of the free woman through the promise. And he goes on to speak of this as an allegory. Now let's step back, go all the way back. Let's get back to our Genesis text. What's what's this expulsion of Ishmael all about? Let me ask you this. How did Abraham and Sarah get Ishmael? Was it by the flesh, their works, or was it by the promise? Which was it? It was this, right? Hey, it's been 10 years Are you pregnant? No. Well, look, let's try Hagar. You could get her pregnant. They got a son, but what was this son? He was a son of the flesh. What does that mean? He was the son of their own doing. He was the son of their work. He was the son of their own provision. But then there's the son of promise, right? This is the son, Isaac. How did Abraham and Sarah get Isaac? They believed the promise. And into Sarah's dead womb, God did what only God could do and birth life. How did this happen? We believed God's promise. And so in these two contrasts, what we see is there's there's works and there's faith. There's flesh and there's spirit. There's we can do this. There's no way we can do this. Only God can do this. And so when Abraham expelled, see the expulsion of Ishmael, listen, theologically, it was a picture of there is no life in the flesh. The promises of God go back to Genesis Go to Genesis 12, the covenant with Abraham. The people of God in the place of God with access to the presence of God. How is this going to come about? By faith and faith alone. This this will not come about in the flesh. Only by those who believe the promise. Are you with me? And so men and women, today, you and I remain people of the promise. This is all we've got. Why? Because life with God is lived on the currency of faith, period. It was for Abraham and it is for you and I today. Now, I think this is exactly what Abraham is actually doing in our text. It's, you know, our our whole life at one level is this. No to the flesh, no to our own works, no, and yes to the promise. See, this is the Christian life. Abraham, I think, exhibits this in the story as we just read it. Now, the way I want you to see this is I want you to flip back to Genesis chapter 20. Go back to 20. 
20 verse 10, Abraham has run into Abimelech once again and he's lied about Sarah. That's his reality. If I can say, if I can say what, what's Abraham's reality, he's scared. He's fearful. Notice what happens in verse 10. Abimelech says, why in the world did you do this? Verse 10. Abraham, Abimelech said to Abraham, what have you seen? What have you encountered that you've done this thing? You've lied to me. You've brought this harm on my family. Notice Abraham's response. Abraham said, because I thought, surely there is no fear of God in this place. And they will kill me because of my Wife, why did you do this, Abraham? Because I'm scared. Because I'm afraid. I'm afraid there's no fear of God in this pagan place. And yet, when you go to chapter 21, verse 22, this is crazy amazing. Here's this powerful pagan king and his army commander who initiate coming to this shepherd and his servants and saying, hey, can we cut a peace deal? What do you mean? What do you need a peace? You're powerful and have an army and you're coming to make a peace arrangement with the shepherd and his sheep? Yes. Why? Because when I see you, I see God is with you. Because, can I put the words in Abimelech's mouth? Because I fear God. And you have to scratch your head and go, why would he fear God? This is key. Why would Abimelech fear God? Now I want you to think about this. What has happened in our story? I would suggest he fears God because he watched Abraham live by faith. Period. That's it. That's what he says. God's with you. The fear of God is present when the people of God believe the promise of God and act on it. Abraham's thinking there's no fear of God in this place. And and yet when when Abraham believed the promise and acted on it, Oh, there's the fear of God. I'll say it again. The fear of God is present when the people of God believe the promise of God and then act on that promise. This is maybe an oversimplification, but I think it's helpful. This is how we influence the culture of the world. This is how we make a difference in in this world. When the world's totally you know, doesn't fear God, against God. You got, you know, enemies want to harm you, all that. What, what, what do you do? We believe the promise. And we act on the promise. I'm going to give you two proverbs that I think interpret, explain what's going on here. You don't have to look at these. I'm going to read them to you. You might write them down. Proverbs 16, 7 says this. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. No, uh, when I've got enemies, I need to go kill them. I need to deal with that. I need to squelch them. Uh, hmm, no, we all have enemies. What do I do about it? Walk in a way that pleases God. That just sounds to me like walk by faith. Trust God. 
There's another proverb I want to give you, and I think it's instructive for us. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. The king's heart is like channels of water. God turns it wherever he wishes. When you read the paper and you're looking at all these world leaders and you're going, my gosh, who's in control? Let me tell you who's in control. God's in control. And if God can turn the most powerful person in the land wherever he wants, that's the point, the king, then you see he can turn the least powerful person in the land wherever he wants. And everyone in between, you see, God can turn their hearts wherever he wants because God rules and reigns. And that's what's just happened, right? We've seen it illustrated in the story. Now, I'm not teaching this in a way that's got a really linear process to you, so let me just let me cut to the quick. I'm going to give you two, two words to, that, kind of hang, that you can hang on to that I think explain and help us apply the text. When you read this section, chapter 20 through 21, it goes like this. There's chapter 20, Abraham's encounter with Abimelech. There's the first part of chapter 21, birth of Isaac, expulsion of Ishmael. And now the section we're in brings a close to the whole section. Here's the bottom section. Abraham encounters Abimelech. Abimelech, Abimelech, this amazing step of faith and God's promise fulfilled. If you take the first section, we could say this. Abraham was scared that they were going to kill him and, 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 and take Sarah. And what we see is that God protects his wife. Key word, protect, protect, protection. God says, I can take care of Sarah. He protects her. Now, go to the, 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 the last section we're in, Abimelech again. And I want to suggest that within this, we see that God provides, keyword what Abraham needs to live in this desert, become a nation. There's two words I could put here, peace, but I'm going to use this word, provision, because of the well. So, so if, we, if we took that, we said, wow, what, 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 what's it saying to us? God can protect your wife and God can provide what you need to live in this God-forsaken, so to speak, wilderness, you see. God can protect and God can provide. God does protect, God does provide. And the question for you and I is, hey, does that go for me? Or was that just for Abraham? What does Paul say? If you're in Christ, you're in Abraham. What does that mean? If you've placed your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul says you are one of Abraham's sons. You're one of Abraham's daughters. And so the promise of protection, provision, it's yours and it's mine, you see, if we're in Christ. If we're not, it's not. But if we're in Christ, it's ours. The question is, is your confidence in Ishmael? Is your confidence, is your confidence in what you're going to do and bring and make your own provision? Or is your confidence totally in the promise? God promised, I'm going to trust his promise. Now, what Abraham does next, I, I love that he ends this way. And he ends in such a way that it, it's a, a picture of, um, of, of, a, of an image that carries throughout the Bible, okay? 
So it, it goes all the way from Genesis all the way to Revelation. I want you to notice verse 33. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba and there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Now I want you to think about this. Not just what he did, what he planted, but where he planted it. And I'm going to give you a picture. I think this can help us understand even how to apply the passage. Abraham planted a tree. Now, I want you guys to think about this. He didn't plant a cucumber plant. He didn't plant a tomato plant. He didn't plant something that he's going to be eaten from, right, real soon. Y'all, he planted a tree. When you, when you plant a tree, you got to know, I'm going to be here a while. <laughs> when you plant a tree and you want the benefit of it in that environment, in the shade, you got to know, this is going to take a while and I'm going to be in the land a while. And he was. Because he believed God's promise. Now I want you to think about this. Where he planted it? In the desert. In the wilderness. There's no water. Listen. If you're going to plant a tree in the wilderness, you better have a constant supply of water. It won't live. Abraham believes, I got all the water I need for this tree to grow, to bear fruit, and to be here. Long after I'm gone, he believed the promise of God. Now, is one of the applications for you and I, is it when we live between reality and the promise, you know, do we plant a tree? Well, I think it goes farther. Can I take it one step further? I think it goes to Psalm 1. You remember Psalm 1? How blessed is the man who does not walk according to the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight shall be in the law of the Lord and in his law he shall meditate. And he, the person, will be like a, what? He'd be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. I want to suggest that what's happening in verse 33 is Psalm 1. Abraham planted himself, you see, by the streams of God's provision. So, I don't know that it's plant a tree. I think it's be the tree. Do you remember what Jesus said to the woman who came to the well in John 4, the Samaritan woman? Do you remember his words? If you knew the gift of God and who, is, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Whoever drinks the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become a well of water springing up to eternal life. That's chapter 4 in John. Go to chapter 7 in John, 7, 37 and 38. And Jesus, at the end of that great feast, they poured all this water every day out. And at the end, you remember what he said? I'm the water. There's no other water that'll give you life. I'm the water. Trust me, believe in me, and out of your belly will flow rivers 
of life. I think symbolically, now I'm just stretching it here, but to me, I, I, love, I think it this way. When he, when he secured that well, do you understand that well in Beersheba? Beersheba it, 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 listen, it reached all the way to Calvary, all the way to the promised son. And so, if you have placed your faith in Christ, how do you live between reality and the promise? How do we live, how do we live in the face of fear? Sink your roots deep into the life-giving water of the person, Jesus, who is our life and our all, and refuse to let a root go off to the other well because the other well won't give you life. And if you have never placed your faith in Christ, you've never believed, how do you live between reality and the promise? You put your faith in Christ. Be the tree. Refuse to drink water from wells that run dry and from other wells that, you know what? Man, that satisfied my thirst, but tomorrow I'll be thirsty again. No, sink your roots into the person of Christ, trusting him that he is living water and life for you. And he alone is that. Would you pause a moment before we leave? And would you ask the Holy Spirit, what's my application? What, ask the Spirit, what, what is God inviting you to believe right now? What's he inviting you to trust? How's he inviting you to take a step of faith, even in the face of fear? Would you consider that? And then I'm going to conclude us. I'll have a stand and we'll dismiss. Okay, let's stand together. I'm going to send you out with a final thought. Now, sometime this week, you're going to be going along in life, and you're going to be somewhere, and you are going to hear... You're going to feel this fear rise up. And what I think Abraham is inviting us to do is, is what you actually see up here. Now, I speak of this as reality and promise, but you could also look up here and go, man, that looks a lot like rest in peace. Now, when you think of that phrase, we always think, well, that's on the gravestone. <laughs> that's for when you're dead. Not for the believer and not for anyone who puts their faith in Christ. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Eternal life is right now life. And it is life forever, but it's now life. So how do you rest in peace when the growl is scaring you? You sink your roots 
into the only living water available, Jesus Christ himself. I wear around my neck a ring that I got in Israel five, six years ago. And it's a verse that's near and dear to my heart because I am a fearful man. I am. Just live with this, just fearful. And so I had Isaiah 41.10 put on a ring that I keep near me. And I send you out with God's word to you this day. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is God's word to you and me this day. God bless.